Welcome to the NC4 Podcast. We exist to know Christ and make Him known. Discover the power of a connected life by listening to this message from God's Word. All right. Well, good morning, Bethlehem, and good morning, McCungie. Good morning to everybody joining us online and live stream. And it's good to be back home, huh? And I want... I want to thank all of you again for praying for Trisha and I. We're sent out of this body. This is, we're under the authority of this body. And this morning's message is an interesting message. I know we're running late. Uh, let me turn this down just in case one of my kids calls me. All right. <laughs> that tends to happen, right? You know, or one of my grandkids. Anyway, so, so we're running really late, but, but I'm going to have to... I can't clip this message. I've been conscripted to do this message. You know what conscription means? Some of you don't remember the draft, but it means you got to do it. And for a number of years, because I speak a lot about resurrection, I'm passionate. I'm consumed with the notion that we in our physical bodies live forever on a new heaven and new earth. And I've preached on resurrection avidly for years, especially at Easter time. And, and uh, I don't know how many times people have come to me and said, will you please at least do one message on the new heaven and new earth? And I, I thought, I've really never done that. And so I'm going to do that this morning. I've been conscripted to do that. But it's a bit of a toughie. And it's not a big a bit of a tough message because it's not in the scriptures. It's all over the scriptures if you have eyes to see. It's tough because we don't think often about a new heaven and a new earth, Right? I mean, you know, uh, the, the idea that everything will be reconstituted and we will live in a material, physical reality with the risen Jesus as risen grubbies and trishes and everybody here forever isn't something that you think about at 6 a.m. Uh, on Monday morning at a construction site. Huh? Or I, and so, so it's just not, it's not that kind of a thing. Uh, and so as you, usually when people ask for a particular focus for a message that you've not done a lot of, it's because it's one of those tough messages. Now, not because there's not a lot in the scriptures to say about it, and I'll tell you about that in a second. On a daily basis, we just don't carry this. We carry things like, our God's a healer because, you know, my, my hip hurts. Our, our God, you know, our God is a, is a lover because... I'm having struggle with my spouse. These are the the realities. So this, you know, when I talk about new heaven and new earth, I have the feeling like you all are going to think it's Star Trek, huh? And and that's that's not where I'm going here. Here's the deal. It's kind of what life is really about. So I've entitled this message because it's really true. What are we looking forward to, huh? Really. When I was a kid, I learned a prayer that was composed in 380 A.D. That's a long time ago. That's 1,600, 1,700 years ago. And it was composed and prayed and sung because its lyrics are contained in the different creeds of the church that we say. The Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed. The creeds all tell us what we believe. They're a statement about what we believe and what the church believes universally over time. And churches all over the world... Pray, pray this, this prayer in all kinds of historical denominations for 1,700 years. Now, 
not so much in charismatic and Pentecostal churches because kind of a break with historicity in the end, at the end of the last century. But maybe you know this prayer. I'm going to put, I'll put it up on the overhead. You put up the first slide. There we go. No, is it not there? Let me see. There it is. Okay, look at it for a second. I'm going to say it. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. How many have heard that prayer before? Oh, lots. How many have said that prayer before? Lots, okay. Why do you think we said that prayer? Because we pray what we believe. Are you there? So let's say it together. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Yikes. World without end? We have said that, many of us, for a lot of our lives. But what do we think about that, huh? Like, world without end? I forgot about all about that. Well, what about what Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 to 13? But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies, and the word, the word in Greek is, and the elements will be burned and dissolved. And then it says this, and the earth and all the earth's works that are done will be exposed. Another example, another translation says, the earth and all the works in it will be disclosed. You see, somewhere in evangelical theology in the last hundred years or so, the elements were perceived to be the earth itself. Now, they're actually they're not. And the text of and, and the, te- the the text goes on to say in Second Peter that the earth not only will not be destroyed, but something about the destiny of the earth will be revealed. Are you following me here? Something's going to happen where we see the ultimate destiny of this planet that God created in the first place. So the text doesn't say that the earth will be destroyed. It says that the earth will be disclosed or exposed. Other translations say as well, there's going to be a disclosure about this planet that we live on when Jesus comes that we need to be able to understand now. And why is that important? Well, we'll get into it. In other words, at the time when the elements, whatever they are, are burned up, the true destiny of us and this planet will suddenly be revealed to us in the most wonderful way we can ever imagine. How's that for good news this morning? So you may may be saying, and you probably should be saying, well, what are the elements? Well, the answer to that question is a whole morning in itself. But I'll tell you before we leave here how you can find that out for yourself in the scriptures. How's that? There's another episode in the gospel I always found fascinating. And it's in Matthew 19. And Jesus is telling the disciples that, you know, it's harder for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. You remember that scripture? And, you know, the disciples are there and they're going, well, Peter is the only one who has the gumption to say, well, wait a second here. And he says this to Jesus. He says, Lord, we've left everything to follow you. What will we then have? Huh? 
We've left everything to follow you. What, what we then, will we then have? In other words, Peter's saying the title of our message this morning, which is, what do we have to look forward to? Huh? And Jesus answers this. He says, truly, I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, who have followed me, will also sit on 12, those who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel, and everyone will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. What about that? Jesus believed in a new world as well. The word for new here, by by the way, means reconstituted. It means renewed into a higher existence. I'm quoting the Theological Dictionary of the New Testament. I know I'm getting a little geeky this morning, but I only have 40 minutes or or less to to unpack this stuff. It means renewed into a higher existence. And there are so many other scriptures we could look at. Peter, in his second sermon in the book of Acts, tells us that the ascension of Jesus into heaven, the heavens received Jesus, until, Peter says, the restoration of all things. Nothing is excluded from what will be restored. That's a pretty heavy statement and a pretty hopeful statement. If you consider it, begin to reflect like Howard does in his, in his morning devotions. All things will be restored. The restoration of all things, Peter says. In Colossians 1.20, Paul tells us God's intention from the beginning. Before anything was created, his intention was to reconcile all things to himself through Christ Jesus. And this just like this isn't just a New Testament notion. This wasn't something that was popped into the heart of Jesus or 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 the minds of the disciples. In Isaiah 65, Isaiah says, he prophesies, God says through Isaiah, Behold, I will create new heavens, new heavens, and a new earth. And the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. And then there's this, there's this commandment. Be glad and rejoice forever in which I create. Not I will create purely. I am in the process of creating. Now you guys haven't heard a lot of this. And there are reasons for that. Okay? Part of the reasons is there was a whole new brand of eschatology that emerged at the end of the 19th century and into the last century. And I'm not, I don't have time to get into that, but here's what I'd like to do. I rarely ever, ever recommend books in a message on Sunday morning. Those who've heard me preach over the last 40 years know that. I'm going to do it today because I think some of you are going to want to get in on the action of this. And so I want to recommend, I want to recommend two books to you this morning. If you could move. I think they're up there. There. The first is this. If you want to gain a thoroughly biblical and theological understanding of the new heaven and new earth, here's the book for you. It's called A New Heaven and a New Earth, Reclaiming Biblical Eschatology. That sounds awfully frightening. Eschatology means just a study of the end times. That's all it means. It's by J. Richard Middleton, who's a a professor of New Testament. It's published by Baker Academic. But don't let that scare you. I've read this book a couple times, and it's it's, it's a pretty easy read as long as you follow the scriptures, the scripture references. It's not not a hoity-toity kind of theological book, okay? How many like hoity-toity theological books, you know? It's not like that. 
So, <laughs> so here's the deal. This is a great book. You can do a Bible study with it. You can read it yourself. You can do it devotionally. And it'll answer all your questions about the, the, and the, the coming of the new heaven and new earth from a biblical perspective. My suspicion is most of you are only marginally interested in doing something like that. So if you're interested more on a personal level about this new heaven and new earth, and a personal understanding of why God would bother, why would he bother to reconstitute all of this and even all of us physically, our bodies, why would he bother to do all that when he can just think it and it is and everything is brand new and the whole old order is disposed of? Why would he bother to do that? Well, you can go to this book. It's called All Things New, Heaven, Earth, and the Restoration of Everything That You Love. And of all people, it's by John Eldridge. Probably a quarter of you here have read a John Eldridge book. He's a great author. Probably a lot of the guys read, what was it called? Wild at Heart. Remember that book? Anyway, you can read one of these books and it'll, it'll tell you about these things. What I would like to do is kind of do a bingo here. And move to a text that most of us have read kind of in passing, because it's from the book of Revelation, and we kind of think, well, you've got to read it, it's in the book. It's, it's, matter of fact, it's the end of the whole Bible, huh? And, and most of us have read it and thought, okay, I don't know what that means, but, <laughs> so here's the thing about the book of Revelation. I'm writing a book on the book of Revelation right now. By the way, for those of you who asked me over the years about the Christmas letters and all those things, I hope to have the Christmas book published by early October so you all can buy it and give it away for Christmas presents. <laughs> anyway, I'm writing a book on Revelation and, and it's a devotional book. And one of the things that I want you to understand, and I've said this here before, it's apocalyptic literature. See, revelation doesn't always mean what it says. Are you there? But it always means what it means. Huh? So I want to read this because it's so pertinent this morning. All right? All right. Revelation chapter 21. This is, this is the apostle John speaking. And it's the end of the, the whole scripture. And he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Well, there we are again. All the way from the prophets of the Old Testament through to the New Testament, John's saying, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Now, it doesn't say they were destroyed. The word here, passed away, doesn't mean destroyed. It means ceased. They ceased to exist in the same way that they existed before. And the sea was no more. Verse 2, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Remember, John wrote this, John wrote this and recited it in the first century AD. So when he saw it coming down, it was coming down then, and guess what? It's coming down this morning. And guess what? It'll be coming down until Jesus comes and it lands on earth. Are you there? This is a process. This is a process over the church age. So I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, prepared as a bride. Who is the bride? Us. Ah, we're coming down too. 
Everybody in the last century has been talking about going up and getting out. I want to tell you this morning, we're coming down and we're getting in to our destinies. (laughs) All right. Prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Of course, that's Jesus. Now, what you rarely hear note when you read this is there's an identification between what the New Jerusalem is and who the church is. Huh? What the New Jerusalem is and who the church is. Am I boring you here? I hope not. This is pretty heady stuff. Verse 3. And I heard a, a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, or check this out, church. The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And I love this. This is the theme of this morning. We get nothing else this morning. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. How many got some tears to get taken out, huh? It's God who does the wiping and, and the word to wipe here doesn't only mean to cancel the tear, it means to cancel both the tear and the source of the tear. Like a mom coming up. When I, saw, I saw John and Leah's little girl, she had a skinned knee and she had a band-aid on it. And I would imagine Leah saying, don't cry, honey, let me put this on. Let me take away the tear and let me take away the source of the tear. Are you with me on this? All right. It's God who does the wiping, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be, I love this, neither shall there be any mourning, wow, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. The way things worked before have ceased, and a new beginning is taking place. Death, grief, All those things cease. Verse 5, and he was seated on the throne said, behold, check this out. We can do that this morning. We're doing that this morning. Check this out. Check this out. He says, says, the voice that's addressing John said, behold. He says, also he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it's done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Well, we know who that is. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God or her God, and he will be my son. I can't change son to daughter because this is about the sons of God. Men and women who are the sons of God. Verse 8. But as for, this is for those who think I'm talking about ultimate reconciliation or, or, you know, everybody gets into heaven and all that stuff. Unfortunately, that's just not the biblical testimony. Because just as we don't walk around thinking about a new heaven and new earth, most of the people here functionally don't really believe there's a hell. I talked about functionally. Having a doctrine and living as if it were really true on a day-to-day basis. It's two different things. Most of the church, I believe, in the 20th century doesn't functionally Think about hell. Even though Jesus talks about it more than heaven. Yeah, oh, okay. So, John says, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, we don't even believe sorcery exists anymore. All the liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Now, when I read something like that, 
I always throw in this caveat because the truth is we can never underestimate the mercy and the grace of God. Huh? All right. So we read that, and it's not for us to then catalog the people who we think are going there. Usually are people we don't like very much, but you know. <laughs> then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, come and I will show you the bride. Wow, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem. Once again, coming down and coming down, coming down. All the way from the resurrection of Jesus to the second coming of Jesus. And of heaven from God, having the glory of God. And so sometimes I think that, that in this century, the only doctrine more ignored about then the new heaven and new earth is hell itself. But we're going to tackle that this morning. Just for a few more minutes, bear with me. The difficulty, again, is in 40 minutes, I can't do justice to this, but I've just given you the resources in those books to look at this. Both of these books are recently published. I chose those not because they're the only ones. There's a ton of them. As a matter of fact, if you buy the first one, half of it's a bibliography because there's so much written on this, okay? So, so you'll have lots of... You can... You can you know, you can read about this till Jesus comes. But I want you to know this, mainly because this is not a new doctrine. You've, you've read the prayer with me that you read when you were a child, all right? This, this, is the, this is what the apostles of the Lamb, James, John, James, John, Mark, all, all of the apostles of the Lamb, they believed. Paul believed it. Paul wrote about it. St. Augustine, if we're going to go into church history. Francis of Assisi, Luther believed it. Calvin, Wesley, and on it goes until it kind of becomes fogged in our century. But the key question that really remains here is, well, why? Like, why a reconstitution? You know, why take the raw material of something that existed, like our, our bodies, or the earth itself, or heaven itself, and then remake it, yeah, reconstitute it. You know, like, here's an example. Our faith is the only faith system in the world, other than Second, Second Temple Judaism, which would be Orthodox Jews today. Our faith system is the only one. Not Hinduism, Jainism, Buddhism, uh, Confucianism, uh, animism, whatever isms are out there. Our faith system is the only one that insists this stuff comes back, that this comes back. Well, for me, it's kind of an ugly matter, but this stuff comes back. It gets reconstituted, and we have resurrected bodies forever. Well, you know, the Greeks believed in the transmigration of souls. I mean, it's most religious systems believe they have this incredible sense that this is me, and when I die, it can't be all there is. Some part of me has to go on from here. And there's all kinds of doctrines and different faiths about what that looks like. But, but, but the truth is, we're the only ones who need a body, <laughs> who've got to get resurrected, like Jesus was resurrected. Well, what do you need a body for? Huh? I mean, if to be absent from the body before our resurrection is to be present with Jesus, right? If, if to be absent from the body is to be present with Jesus, it means our hearts, our souls, our spirits, our consciousness, our identity somehow goes on. Most faiths believe something like that. 
we're the only ones who believe it gets joined up with this stuff again and we live forever. Well, why? What's your body for? If you can exist and have an identity apart from it, what's it for? It's for this. It's for, I can have hands that pick up the computer, you know. I can, you know, I, I, have, ha- I have feet that can take me places. In other words, my body is what gives me the ability to function in a material reality. Huh? So, I, you know, for those of you who believe you're going to be floating on a cloud and never, never land with angels singing songs forever, first of all, that's not a very inspiring vision anyway. It, it ain't like that. But it's the majority of, of Christians in the world think like that. It was never what the apostles thought. What they, what drove them to see the world changed in 300 years was the reality that we're going to be real. Huh? We're going to be real forever. All right? Which I find wonderful. It's something to rejoice with. So we need a body to interact with a material, physical reality. That material, physical reality is called a new heaven and a new earth. I find that unbelievably exciting, okay? So why make all things, and it means all things, everything new, the reconstitution of heaven and earth rather than its destruction, rather than the destruction of our bodies, which is really fascinating. Here's the real reason why that happens. If you can put up the next slide. This is, this is, if you come out of this morning with nothing else, here's what you need to know. This is the word of the Holy Spirit for every life in here this morning, including mine. Absolutely nothing is lost in Christ. Think about that. Nothing is lost How many of us walk through life the loss of a loved one, the loss of a career, the loss of a relationship, the loss of a limb, the loss of some other body part, our pancreas or something? And all the doctors said, well, you can't live without that. (laughs) And you know what? It really hurts. Those losses hurt, and sometimes they hurt like hell. Huh? And sometimes it hurts so that we don't have answers. We ask ourselves and God, well, what was the meaning of all that? And how, how, what do I do with all that being over and gone? But Jesus said, that's grief. That's what grief is. Jesus said, blessed are those who grieve, for they shall be comforted. And the word comfort there has this holistic kind of meaning to it. And I was walking the trail I like to do prayer walks. And I was walking the trail not, not terribly long ago, even a couple of months ago. And I'm trying to work through, because I'm at the end, I'm, I'm in my last, you know, my last, I'm in my last inning <laughs> of life. You start to reflect and think stuff, you know, that you never thought you'd think. <laughs> and, and so I'm walking and I'm praying. And I lost a brother at six years old. And I lost a brother at 16 years old. And I just thought, this is before I ever came to Christ. And I just was thinking, saying, how is this not a complete loss? Huh? You know, my, my parents came to Christ. My grandparents came to Christ. But this is before I even knew at least about evangelical salvation. I thought, how is this not 
a complete loss. And I heard the Lord, almost, almost like an audible voice, say, I make all things new. I don't know everything that means. I'm not claiming my brothers are in heaven, but I believe that. And I won't get into that. Uh, but but, but I, I am saying there's nothing the resurrection of the living God, Jesus Christ, cannot touch in my life or your life forever. That's, that's why we can be glad forever. Each of our tears will be wiped away because the content of every tear that we shed will be addressed. I don't know how, I don't know what's happened, but the circumstance that caused our crying and our grief, and finally, it will be submitted to perfect justice, perfect love, every piece, all things, every piece of our lives will finally be integrated, be have, have some kind of meaning, even the pain and the pleasure. Because God said, I will create new heavens and a new earth, and I will create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be, to be, to embody a gladness. How, how many either saw the movie or read Lord of the Rings? I, I love it. There's a few books you can say something like that. Okay, most of you know that Frodo is a little elf that saves the world, and Gandalf is a guy. <laughs> but Hobbit, I'm sorry, wasn't an elf. That's right, he wasn't an elf. But he was little, all right? He was a... He wasn't a dwarf either, okay. Man, listen, I just committed a mortal sin for the Tolkien people, you know. <laughs> you don't mess around with Frodo, you know. So Frodo's, you know, everything's happened, and Gandalf is the great wizard, you know, who's a representative of Christ, and he's Gandalf the White now, and he's the great wizard, and, and Frodo's gone through the whole war, in Tolkien's War of the Rings, and there's this picture of, of resurrection. Frodo says to Gandalf, the white, who seems to have come back from the dead, he says, Gandalf, I, I thought you were dead, but then I thought I was dead myself. I, lo I love this next line. He says, is everything sad going to come untrue? Can I say that again? I wish I could write like that. Is everything sad now going to come untrue? Think about that. What has happened to the world? It's changed. A great shadow has now departed, says Gandalf. And then Gandalf laughed, and the sound was like music, or, or like water in a parched land. And as he listened, the thought came to Sam that he had not heard laughter, the pure sound of merriment for days upon days without account. And the laughter fell upon his ears like the echo of all the joys he had ever known. Everything sad become untrue. Wow. Somehow Tolkien figured out what the new earth is like and what resurrection is like. So evil, sin, death will be non-existent because 
The enemy's vanquished forever, forever. Gone will be my mental struggles, the thought wars, the propositions of darkness. Gone will be the fatigue of all that stuff, uh, the insinuations of shame, my guilt, disappointment. They got no place to, to rest anymore because the prince of the power of the air is going to be cleared from the air once and for all. Hallelujah. Huh? That's what the cross does. So every godly longing will be being fulfilled because our very lives will be our worship. You know, now in the past, you've heard me kind of mutilate <laughs> the somewhere over the sunset picture of death. Uh, the floaty, floaty heaven on clouds with a never, people say, there'll be a never-ending worship service. I, gee, I don't want to do that. I got stuff to do. I got a body now. I got stuff to do. There's golf to be played. (laughs) I'm sorry, Jesus. All right. So we forget that Romans 12 tells us how we occupy our very lives can be and should be our worship. I want to say that again. Romans 12 tells us that the way that we actually occupy our lives can be and should be our worship. Huh? And so I, I tap into that. When, when Frodo sees the elfin kingdom, when Frodo sees the elfin kingdom, he says to Samwise Gamgee, he says, it was if I was living inside a song. Ah, So the new heaven and earth are material, they're real, with challenge, perfect rule requiring faith and hope. And in the new heaven and new earth, I would not be over time, but I'm over time this morning. You know, when Jesus says, behold, my father prepares a place for you, there are many mansions. Word mansion kind of means estate, an estate. You know, like Downton Abbey, you know, that kind of stuff. Only it won't be Downton Abbey. Or maybe it will be, I don't know. Anyway... But the point is, we will have estates. We will have, we will have terrain. We will have challenge. We will have things for our bodies to do uh, where our faith and our hope and our love can be actualized. This is the wonderful thing. I got to rush here. Oh, here's the, here's the biggie. Relationships will actually be able to be perfected. Huh? Yeah? I was preaching one time in a, in a, in a, here in Bethlehem, and I talked about how you know, even though, I said this, you know, look, I realize Jesus said, you know, in the, in the new heaven, new earth, and heaven, there's no giving and taking in marriage. He said that. In other words, the institution of marriage doesn't exist. The, the sacrament of marriage, the institution of marriage doesn't exist. But that doesn't mean I don't have relationship with the woman I lived, I should say, had to live with me for, for, for 50 years that it doesn't move on. It's where the relationship can actually be perfected. Well, why do away with marriage? See, marriage corrals us into learning what love is. That's why God hates divorce. And I'm not saying if you're divorced that you haven't learned what love is. Don't, don't do that to me, all right? So, because, listen, a third of the people who hear, what I, who hear what I said I didn't say, and the other third hear exactly the opposite. <laughs> But that's what marriage is. So the institution in sacrament of marriage corrals us into learning what biblical love is so we can live it out forever with one another. Huh? All right. 
The physical, finally, last thing, the physical, material, and real presence of Jesus. And before I say this, Rob Ariel, can you come up and tickle the plastics a little bit? Thank you. Isn't this guy great? He's a really good pianist, right? The physical, material, and real presence of Jesus on the earth will be the triumph. You're more than conquerors, he says, of the church. I don't know how so many eschatologists, people who study the end times, come to these scriptures and eliminate the church after Revelation chapter 3. You can even play a little louder. That's good. Oh, it's it's up to him back there. (laughs) Shandaraharadusa. So, so, I'm looking out at the church. I'm looking at my church. I'm part of this church. And, and we're going to be conquerors, victors. We're going to be glad. We're going to enjoy this thing. But it is the church. The book of Revelation begins with the church and it ends with the church. The bride of Christ. And I know we use that language because it's, it's very romantic and all the rest of this stuff, but it's still the church. I'm going to know you guys forever. I really believe that. And I'll have forever to know you. <laughs> I mean, there's, time won't mean anything, at least like it means now anymore. I want to close with this thought because I want to minister. It's not a time I minister, but I felt in prayer yesterday and today I needed to do this. Could y'all stand? Yeah, we need we need a song. All right, it's it's a Middle Earth song. Yeah, (laughs) Elfin Kingdom sound. Frodo says to Gandalf, who is kind of a type of the risen Christ. He says, "What has happened to the world?" And then he says this. Is everything sad going to come true? Is every sadness we have going to be turned around? I believe that that's true. I can't imagine it otherwise. So I felt like I needed to say, we all have sadnesses in our lives, right? I mean, too many to enumerate. Too many that we carry with us, right? Can we just, by the power of the Holy Spirit, choose one sadness that can become unsad beginning this morning? Huh? Just one. Because you see, the new Jerusalem is coming down from heaven. Right now. We're part of it. We're, we're, on, we're, on, a, we're on the ship right now. And the new Jerusalem's coming down from heaven. I got such a catalog of sadnesses, disappointments, we all do. Hurts, pains. But how about just one sadness this morning that we can begin to address right now? God, we can allow God begin to address right now. Maybe one tear that you can wipe away beginning now right into our resurrections. Yeah. I really believe the Holy Spirit said to do that. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, will you just lighten our hearts? Put your finger, the finger of God, on the one sadness 
that needs to be addressed today, this morning. Father, when Jesus came to be one of us, the angel said, today a Savior. Not tomorrow, not yesterday. Today a Savior. Some of of us have really big sadnesses, God. And some of us have some little ones, but whether it's little or big, you put your finger on it. We are asking, Lord Jesus, that you would begin to have us realize that the new earth is coming down as we speak and the new Jerusalem is our portion as we speak. We want to live in the already as well as the not yet. So Father, in Jesus' name, I release right now in the name of Jesus Christ over myself and everyone within earshot, Mukunji and online. I release one heavenly hanky for one sadness. And I speak to it in the name of Jesus to come on true. In the words of the scripture and the words of Frodo, I speak to it to come on true. In Jesus Christ's name, amen and amen. Thank you for listening to the NC4 Podcast. For more info, visit our website at nc4.org. We believe in the power of a connected life. If you prayed to give your life to Jesus today, we'd love to help you walk it out together. Just text the word Jesus to 610-816-6062.